You're listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. Join us Sundays at 10 a.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Or learn more about us online at theriverdurant.com. Amen. This says here that, that, that it went into force after Jesus died, not after we die. Amen. It's a cruel joke of, in, uh, of, uh, of religion to, to say you get nothing. And it's because of faithless people who've been in charge of the church for so many centuries. When it didn't work for them, they said it doesn't work for anybody. Verse 18. We pick up now with 18, and we're going to go forward. Part 2 of A New Day. Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood, for when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people. There's so much preaching in that verse 19 that I'm not going to do because it, it's, it's off my point just a little bit. Verse 20, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. There's over 500 references to blood in the Bible. 101 references in the New Testament alone of blood. And you listen to most of religion's preaching and teaching. It's not about blood at all. It's not about the blood of Jesus at all. Nobody wants to talk about the blood. I, they want to talk about the cross, but they won't talk about the blood. And let me say to you, ladies and gentlemen, the cross without the blood is purposeless. The whole point of the cross was so Jesus could shed the blood of the covenant. And I hear people so wrapped up about the cross that they forget about the blood. I'm not saying you should, I'm not putting down the, the, the activity of the cross and its importance in Christianity. I'm just saying, don't forget that its purpose was not just for Jesus to die, but for him to shed his blood to die. Yeah. The point was the blood. The blood's how covenants are made. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. I'm here to say that if Jesus had died as a baby in the manger, if, they, if Herod had gotten to him and killed him in Bethlehem in the manger, his blood was the blood of God and would have taken away the sins of the world right then. Amen. Now, we wouldn't have all these promises. wouldn't have all the prophecies fulfilled. We wouldn't have all that we do have, but we would have had the forgiveness of sins. Yeah. Because his blood was the blood. That takes away the sins of the world. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry, and almost all things are by why blood. I had to ask myself a question why blood? It's unpopular in the religious world because they like it clean, they don't want blood everywhere. They don't want blood everywhere. They don't want this talk of blood. Back years ago, John, John Wesley's. Uh, Denomination, I won't say what it was. But John Wesley's denomination said, it's a slaughterhouse religion. We need to get past this. All the talk of the blood. Really? Really? Well, look at you now. Look at them now. John Wesley wouldn't recognize them because there's no talk of the blood. He talked about it all the time. His writings are full of the blood. Charles Wesley's songs are full of blood. Okay? There is a fountain 
filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains why so much blood? Why, why, why blood? Why so much talk of blood in the Bible? Well, I think it's found in the very first mention of the word blood. The very first mention of the word blood is not in Genesis 3 where God killed the animals. The word blood is not there. We can see blood. Can you not see blood? God killed the animals, took the skins, and put them on Adam and Eve. You see blood but it's not there. It's not mentioned there. The first mention of the word blood is in the next chapter, chapter 4 of Genesis. When Cain killed Abel. We ask ourselves, why blood? Why so much blood talk in the Bible? Here's why. What Adam lost in the garden was not the ability to hear God's voice. You all have heard me say this. What did he lose? Somebody shouted out that knows. He lost the ability to talk to God. The loss of relationship was not on God's end. It was on his end. His ears were not, demand, were not, were not defiled to the point that they couldn't hear God, but his mouth was what went wrong. Mind the right house here today? Amen. It wasn't his ears that was the problem because God still could speak right. He heard God's voice clearly. It was his mouth that went wrong. He no longer knew how to talk to God. We find this in Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Could we put that up there? Luke 11, 1. Here's the, 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 the disciples of Jesus venerated as they are, saints of the Most High God. We hold them up as the highest of the high. And here they are in, in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, when the apostle says, when, the, when, the, when Luke writes, I should say, and it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he was through praying, one of his disciples, the apostles, said unto him, Lord, what? Teach us to pray. Now these guys were Jews. Their families had always been Jews. Not one convert amongst them. They all, have, they all are tribal Jews. All the way back to Israel. Are you hearing me? Here is the apostle, uh, the, the, the apostolic band asking Jesus. When they hear him pray, they ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, wait a minute. Peter even said later, we find this out later in Acts chapter 11, chapter 10, I should say, that the apostle Peter said, nothing common or unclean has ever even come into my mouth. That means he'd never eat a piece of catfish or shrimp or bacon or anything like that. He'd never had it, but he didn't know how to pray. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? He didn't know how to pray, but there are people going around the world who tell people, Tell poor, rotten, gen Gentile sinners, if you uh, just, just cry out to God in your own words, just cry. He, he'll understand. I'm sorry, he won't. He might. He might. I mean, every hog finds an acre now and then, even if he's blind. He might. But if Peter didn't know how to pray, 
James didn't know how to pray. John didn't know how to pray. What makes you think the average Gentile out there in the world knows how to pray? These guys who had been strict living Jews, don't just tell somebody to, well, just pray, just talk to God, just do your best. Lead them in prayer. That's why we have what we call a sinner's prayer. I don't want somebody just, oh God, you see my need. Yeah, every heathen prays like that and God does nothing for them. Because it's all based on need. You've got to get some word in that prayer. And they don't know to do that. They don't know how to do that. That's why we lead people in prayer. Because if Peter didn't know how to pray, most Gentiles don't have a clue. In fact, in, in Romans chapter 8, look at this. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. See what the Apostle Paul has to say about it. Romans 8, 26. It says, likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities or our weaknesses, one translation says. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. Oh. Now it's talking about Spirit-filled Christians. We know not what we should pray for as we ought. That's why you, you need to relax about prayer. Pray all the time, but relax about your topic. And trust that the Holy Ghost that lives inside you guides your prayer. He says He helps our weakness in prayer. We do not know how to pray as we ought to. Had somebody shout at me that day, you've got to pray hard. I said, I don't believe in praying hard. Amen. It was in an in operations meeting. The second, the second highest operations team, uh, 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 executive team that there is at CF&I. I was in there and the guy said, but you've got to pray hard. I said, I don't believe in praying hard. My COO sitting right down there. She just sat there. <laughs> so the Bible says nothing about praying hard. Doesn't say anything about praying fast, praying slow, praying hard, praying easy. It says pray in faith. That's the prayer God hears. Amen. He doesn't hear any of the praying hard. But this is all, the reason preachers pray, talk like that is because they're all Gentiles and they don't know how to pray. Just pray hard. Pray loud. It's okay if you want to pray loud. I like to pray loud. I scream at the devil sometimes. <laughs> it's okay to shout unto the Lord. With, you know, with the, it's okay. I'm just saying, none of that really makes a difference if there's no faith involved. It's all just air words. We don't know how to pray as we ought to. We don't know what we should pray for. Not as we are, but the Spirit. Everybody say, but the Spirit. That's a big phrase in the Bible, but the Spirit. In my natural man and in my natural mind, I'm not really all that much. But the Spirit makes intercession for me. Yes. With words I, I can't even utter. One of my favorite cartoons was a cartoon about the Peanuts comic strip. Y'all ever see Peanuts? Charles Schultz was still alive. Y'all know what Charles Schultz means? What his name means? It's Charlie Brown. It's just the German form or, or the Bohemian form of Brown. Charles Schultz made this little comic strip. He has Linus and Lucy together. And Linus sighs. <sighs> Sigh. 
little bubble. Lucy looks at him, and he does it again. Sigh. She says, stop that stupid sighing. He looks at her and says, it's scriptural. <laughs> scriptural. He says, read, read from the New American Standard Bible. He, he, he reads these words from Romans 8, 26. For the Spirit himself helps our weaknesses, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings, with, uh, the New American Standard says, with sighings too deep for words. Slams his Bible shut, tucks it under his arm, and walks away. And she's watching him walk away, and she looks back at the camera and says, I'm either going to have to get back in Sunday school or punch him in the nose. <laughs> Sighing's too deep for words. He intercedes for us in ways we can't even be aware of. I think it has to do with us praying in other tongues. Adam lost the ability to speak to God. He could hear God's voice. In fact, he heard God's voice on the day he sinned. So why blood? Apparently to help us talk to God. If you'll turn to Genesis chapter 4 and verse 10. Genesis 4:10, you see the very first mention of the word blood in the Bible. Genesis 4. I know we're going all over, the Bi all over the Bible, but it's all right. I like to study the Bible. And God said to Cain, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries unto me from the ground. Oh, did you notice? Adam didn't hear that blood talking. Eve, who carried that boy in her womb, did not hear the blood talking. Somebody heard the blood talking. Cain didn't hear it talking. He's the one that shed it. But somebody heard that voice of the blood speaking. Who heard it? All right, you need to write this down somewhere. Blood speaks the language of God. I may not know how to speak the language of God, but blood sacrifice, blood, <laughs> blood does. I, blood speaks the language of God. Especially innocent blood speaks the language of God. That's why our religion, if you call it a religion, is full of blood. Because we have no way to communicate with God without blood. Amen. It's what makes the, the, the death of Jesus and his bloodshed imperative to Christianity. You cannot separate them. You separate the blood out of Christianity, you, you do away with Christianity. Yeah. I'd rather belong to the Rotary Club <laughs> than a church that's bloodless and no talk of blood, no revelation of what the blood did. Verse 23, we're back in Hebrews 9. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these. With what? If everything in the earth, 
in the earthly temple, as it says in verse 22, almost all things were by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. Listen to this. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of the things in the heavens should be purified with these. The patterns of the things in the heavens. But the heavenly things, listen, listen to this verse. It's going to be shocking to you. This verse will change your life if you'll just hear what it's actually saying. But the heavenly things themselves with better, better, better sacrifices than these. What sacrifice was better than the blood of bulls and goats? There's just one. And it said that the heavenly furniture, the heavenly items themselves, were purified by the blood of Jesus. I don't know how to think like that. I've got a problem hanging on to that thought because I thought heaven was perfect. How can it be purified if it's perfect? I'll tell you how. Nothing, nothing, not even heaven itself, reaches the level of the purity of the blood of Jesus. When the blood of Jesus showed up back in heaven, it made even heaven better. Amen. Glory to God. It improved heaven. Glory to God. Come on, somebody lift your hands and say, Thank you for the blood. Thank you for the blood, Jesus. Thank you for the blood. That says it improved upon heaven. Glory to God. Glory to God. I'm tingling all over. Just the revelation of that is just glory to God. It even made heaven better. I did want to go there, but now I really want to go there. Glory to God. The blood of Jesus. Nothing more precious. Nothing so pure. Nothing so perfect in all the universe. Not even heaven itself can match the purity of the blood of Jesus Christ. Even heaven was made better by the blood of Jesus. Verse 24. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for himself. Somebody stop me. No, he's not there for himself. He's there for who? Tell somebody he's there for you. Tell somebody he's, he's there for you. Come on, I need a little audience participation. Tell somebody he's there for you. He's there for you. Amen. There we go. <laughs> Hebrews 3.1 says, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. The apostle and high priest of our profession, that is for us. He's there for us. He hung on a cross on a lonely hill called Golgotha in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, 2,000 plus years ago, I guess. Well, maybe just about 2,000 years ago, he hung on that cross. And he was the Savior of the world. He died there for the whole wide world. But he is not seated at the right hand of the Father today for the whole world. He's seated at the right hand of the Father for everyone who believes on him. He is not there. The high priest does not exist to take away the sins of the world. The Lamb of God existed to take away the sins of the nation. But the high priest existed to deal with the errors of God's people. He does not exist to deal with the errors of the Gentiles like Jesus did uh, on the cross. Jesus dealt with the errors of the whole wide world while he was hanging on the cross. But today, he sits at the right hand of God Almighty dealing with your errors, praise God. That's why you have a high priest. And that's why you can say, I have no condemnation because I'm in Christ Jesus. 
He's not sitting there hoping to get you with another lightning bolt just waiting for you to mess up. He's seated there on your behalf. He's appearing in the presence of God for you. That means he's doing his job. He's working to make sure you make it. Amen. Glory to God. It's kind of different from what the religion you were taught. God's going to get you. Jesus, Jesus is watching you. Jesus is watching you. You heard about the guy that broke into the house, didn't you? No, they've heard it. Guy breaks into the house. He's creeping around the house. He hears a voice. He hears a voice. Jesus is watching you. He's thinking, oh, terrible. That's awful. Oh. Jesus is watching you. He creeps on another room. Jesus is watching you. Looks up. And it's a parrot. He laughs. He laughs. And says, what kind of idiot would... Well, name is Parrot Jesus. And he said, I'm not Jesus. The bulldog is Jesus. <laughs> Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. Jesus is watching you. The real one is watching you. But he's watching to make sure you make it, not to try to keep you out. He appears in heaven for us. He is there for you, not against you, for you. He's cheering you on. He's rooting for you. We don't get enough talk of the high priest because we don't get enough talk of the blood. If you don't talk about the blood, there's no need to talk about the high priest. Exodus chapter 12, they instituted the Passover. They slew the lamb, they killed the lamb, and they ate the lamb all night long. They ate the lamb all night long. And they ate it, uh, had to eat the, the whole thing all night. And if they, whatever was left over, they took and burned it up. But they took of the blood of the lamb, which was shed in the slaughter, and they took of that blood and they posted it on the doorpost, on the front of the house, on the top, the lintel, and the two side posts. You remember this? Upon the lintel and the two side posts. And if you, if you think about it, that makes a cross. If you connect the top with where the blood dripped on the floor, the, uh, on, on the, uh, what do you call that thing, the threshold, if it, from the lintel to the threshold, and you connect the dots, it makes a cross. And most of history understa understands this, because if you notice, most front doors on houses have a cross on them, okay? That's kind of a historic thing that they did, just to give everybody a cross on the door. It's kind of interesting. I like it. And now, here's a, here's a powerful thought. The blood of Jesus was posted there after it was shed. The blood of Jesus was shed, and then it was posted someplace. I wonder where Jesus posted his blood. This, this Paschal lamb was the lamb that take away the sins of the world. Jesus said that. I mean, John said that about Jesus. To take away the sins of the world. It was a picture of the Passover lamb. Where did Jesus post his blood? Well, let's look and see. We've got some more scripture to look at. I want you to look at uh, when Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene. John chapter 20. 
Turn to John chapter 20 and verse 16. John chapter 20 and verse 16. We're doing Bible study on Sunday morning. John 20 16 says, Jesus saith unto her, Mary, this is Mary Magdalene. You remember she's already, she's already gone to the tomb and found it empty and ran back and told the disciples and Peter and John came running. And they looked in and saw it empty. They went away and Mary stayed there crying and then these two angels showed up and started talking to her. And, uh, and then and she didn't know what was going on. She said, if you have his body, and she turns around, she hears Jesus. And she, she thinks that he's the gardener at first. Then they get to this point, and Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself around and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. When he called her name, he re she recognized him. Rabboni meaning, meaning rabbi, master, teacher. Verse 17, Jesus saith unto her, touch me not. What? Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren, and say unto them, I ascended to my Father, and your Father, and to my God, and your God. You go tell them that I'm going to ascend to my Father and your Father. This is something that's not very often taught. We talk about the ascension being 40 days after this. But there was an ascension that happened right here, and it's very clear that it did. He said, Mary, do not touch me. And you go tell him, I'm, I'm going, because I'm not yet ascended to my father. Well, why? Why was it so important for him to go from that moment, that moment of resurrection, right straight to glory without anybody touching him? Because the high priestly duty had, come, had fallen upon him. He now is taking his blood. Oh, Whew. that goes all over me. He is now perfectly holy in every detail, having, been, having carried the sin of the world to, the, to hell. And he came back, praise God. And he's, now he's got this blood and he's taking it to glory. He's going to put it on the mercy seat of heaven. And he's going to post it, if you will. Amen. Going to post it. I've got a feeling. We never, we're never talked about It's never told about this. But I've got a feeling that on those pearly gates, there might be bloodstains. It's posted there. I go to my father. And Mary came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. And I looked down at verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. And it never says they touched the Lord, but we don't know for sure. If the ascension went in that one day, if the first ascension went up and back to present the blood and it came back that afternoon, because we know that in the spirit realm there's really no time. Okay, we don't know. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be to you, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. This is where we theorize and we believe that Jesus breathed on them. They didn't receive the Holy Ghost right that moment as we know it in the baptism of the Holy Ghost. They received the Holy Ghost in re regeneration. He renewed their spirits, brought them back from spiritual death right there at that moment and when he breathed on them because the same word pneuma in breath is the same word as pneuma in Holy Ghost. Verse 24, But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. And the other disciples therefore said to them, We have seen the Lord! But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands and the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. I don't know where Thomas has been hanging out, but someplace 
I think he'd been watching CNN news <laughs> because he'd just fallen into complete unbelief. And after eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas was with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be to you. What did he say? Peace be to you. He's not saying shalom here. He said, the Greek text tells us, he said, Irene, which is a, a form of, he, he spoke Aramaic, and when it comes into Greek, it means an end to the rage and havoc of war, a state of national tranquility. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. Wow. Now Jesus is ready for Thomas to touch him. Mary couldn't touch him nine days before or eight days before. But now they can touch him. What happened between, at least in those eight-day period? He did his high priestly duty in glory. Took the precious blood and applied it where it needed to be applied. And then comes back and shows himself to them again. He says, now you can touch me. Now you can touch me. Glory to God. Now you can touch me. I've taken care. And that's how he pronounced peace. Peace to them. Because the war was over when he got that blood back to glory. Hallelujah. Verse, 26, verse 25, Nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entered into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then must he have suffered since the found, often since the foundation of the world. Often suffered, it, it says. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Did he try to put away sin or did he put it away? He wasn't trying to make it happen. He made it happen. Yeah. He, you hear so much preaching, well, you know, God's trying to get you in. No, God's not trying to get you in. He got you in. Amen. Yeah. If you want in. If you'll simply believe this, if you believe the message like it says it, He put away sin once and for all here in the end of the world. Praise God. As far as the Father is concerned, the war and the work is finished. The war is over and the work is finished. And verse 27 says, And it, as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ once uh, offered to bear the sins of many, was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Glory to God. Yes. My announcement to you is, it's a new day. You hear things in this passage of Scripture, this chapter 9, that you don't hear all the time. That the work is truly finished. And when Jesus said, it is finished, He wasn't just saying He was finished, and He wasn't just saying, I'm, all right, I'm done now. He was saying, the war between heaven and earth is over. The work of bringing men back to God is a finished work. Glory to God. There's nothing for you to do to make yourself right with God. There's only the idea that you need to believe God, believe what He prepared for you, believe what Jesus did, and you are then in this finished work. I want to ask you to bow your heads just for a moment. Father, I thank you for these, your people. And I thank you for those that are gathered here today in need of a Savior. And they found out now they have one. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And that He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And when the Bible says he's, it is finished, it means it really is finished. All there is left to do is to not to make amends. Not to try to do this or try to do that, but to believe that Christ did it all. 
and that our faith in Him will change us. That the gospel is not something like the power. The gospel is not something that will take us to the power. The gospel isn't something that will introduce us to the power. But the gospel itself is the power of God and the salvation to everyone who will believe it. To everyone who will believe it.